Hello, and welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. Today, we'll hear a discussion with actor Walton Goggins and writer-directors Britt Poulton and Dan Madison Savage about their new film, Them That Follow. This conversation was recorded at the Landmark in Los Angeles during the film's opening weekend. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm film critic Amy Nicholson, and I would like your help in joining since people to the stage. I would first like to bring up writer-director of the movie, Britt Poulton and Dan Savage. And our star, Welton Goggins. The, the power didn't go out tonight. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. Well, so I have a ton I want to ask you, and I want to leave some time for people to ask questions here, too. So I just want to jump in and say, who did y'all cast first? Did you cast Walton or the snake? I barely beat the snake. I think, babe, no. I, I mean, I, I know who these guys cast first, but you, you guys are such a great story. I, I want Dan to tell this story because Dan is who brought, <laughs> through yes. his, his extensive research, he brought us our snakes. So <laughs> this is the first script that Britt and I ever wrote. We taught each other how to write. We taught ourselves how to write on it. Um, and when we were just beginning the casting process, you know, as two kids just at a film school trying to hoodwink incredible actors such as Walton into being in our film, our producer, Danielle Robinson, before we were meeting with Alice Engler, who plays Mara, our lead, said, um, how are you guys going to do the snakes? And we said... She said we couldn't meet with actors until we could answer that question. Which was true. <laughs> um, and so we emailed our wonderful reptile handler, Jules Sylvester, you know, whose snakes have been in every movie that has snakes in it, snakes on a plane, <laughs> them that follow. Uh, and Jules and his snakes were the first actors on this project. And he was a real incredible mentor for us, you know, on set, you know, dealing with these animals, um, making sure that we respect them and keep them safe, you know, throughout the whole process. But you guys, you guys uh, just, uh, not, not, I'm not moderating this, I, I promise. <laughs> but uh, Olivia, Olivia Coleman was, you guys went to Olivia uh, like first, right? I mean, like, Olivia was she was early. You guys were very early. Very early. Olivia. So Olivia was attached to our project for over three years before we ever walked foot on set. Um, but the truth is, is, Alice Engler was the very first actor that we ever attached to the script, and she read a very early draft, something that was like gobbledygook. I wouldn't pass it along to anybody, but she saw something in the story, she saw something in us, and she was with us through every stage of development. So Alice has actually been on this journey with us for over five years. Um, and really before we started going out to other actors, actresses and actors, um, Alice was, she was like the third in our, she was entered a little thruple. <laughs> and, um, and so when we got the script ready and we were really serious about making it, then we started uh, casting others and Olivia was the first among them. I mean, I love that you had such a collaboration with Alice because for people who don't know, she's Jane Campion's daughter. She's a director in her own right. Like, I'd love to know about that collaboration. And also, your collaboration with her, Walton, and your scenes together. Because there's so much tension that you guys are having to channel. Is that yeah. I'm throwing it to yeah. everybody. So everybody. Everyone wants to see how this is great. Uh, Alice is 
first and foremost a storyteller and she's an incredible artist. Um, she's an extraordinary filmmaker. Her film, uh, The Boyfriend Game, is exceptional. It went to Toronto. It's really special. You can find it online. Um, and acting is just one of the many ways she expresses her art and tells her stories. And so very early on, her just emotional and intellectual curiosity was so invigorating to us as we were developing the script and really shaping her character. And she 100% helped us imagine and author this story. And she's, she's an incredible human, um, a delight. She's funny and irreverent and brilliant. Um, but yeah, we, we wouldn't have made this movie without her. Uh, yeah, uh, for, for me, uh, <clears throat> with Alice, well, I mean, just with uh, Britton and Dan, it was, uh, you know, from the, from the very beginning, uh, when I, I read this, uh, not in a vacuum, I mean, I knew, like, Olivia was attached, and uh, our agents, we have an, an agent in common, and, uh, and I read it, and I just thought, who, who, who wrote this? Like, how do you, how, do, how does this exist, kind of in the world? I mean, I'm, I'm not from a snake-handling community in Appalachia, but I, but I am from you know Georgia and um, and I you know I dated more than a couple of Pentecostals in my life, and uh, and uh, allowed I didn't think yeah. they'd let you date them. <laughs> well, you know it was different. I mean it was in the it was in the it was in the eighties. It was a little different. Uh, but but uh, and I and I was just I was just so thankful really that that this story existed in the world, and I just desperately wanted to kind of meet the the two people that that penned it and um, and then we met and talked at length kind of about what it is that, that they're doing and what it is that they're trying to say. And, and the very first time that I, I met uh, uh, Alice, I, I just fell in love with her. You know, I thought like literally the first time in a Holiday Inn in Southern Ohio, uh, we, we rehearsed a scene and, and that was it. It's like, wow, this is gonna, this is, this is good. And, you know, I'll just add, I think one of the incredible things that really united all of the actors we brought to the project, you know, was really the value to approach a subject matter in an unbiased way. You know, we knew that we were exploring a culture and tradition that was different than our own, you know. Um, it wasn't one, as Walton said, that we grew up in. And, you know, I think that shared value of respect, you know, um, was something that really united the production, you know, from the top to the bottom. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. I mean, I know that, Britt, you came from a family. You grew up in the Church of Latter-day Saints. And uh, that neither one, neither of you are religious at this moment, but like kind of figuring out through this process how to show that respect and not approve of snake handling, but to show the empathy for it, which your character also had to do. Your, your character is so convincing. He's a pillar of this community who really values this tradition. I mean, how did you walk that line? And I'm wondering, also, was there anything you sort of thought of or, or kind of considered differently in your own relationship to faith or community or what grounds us? I, I think that's an unbelievable question, first and foremost. Uh, thank you very much for, for ask, asking that question. I, I don't know, for me, I, I live in Los Angeles. And I've been here for 30 years, probably only been here 12 out of those 30 years. Uh, my mother was a, a, a Paramhansa Yogananda devotee. I've been all over the world, like studying religion. And, um, and at the end of it, you know, I have formed my own personal relationship with God. It is secular by, <clears throat> by, by, by its very nature. Uh, and, um, and I read what these guys wrote. And my wife and I stayed up late 
uh, talking at length about uh, the limits of our secular, secularism. And there are fundamental questions that my son has. <clears throat> uh, he's eight and a half years old that, that I can't answer. And when I read their story, I, I was envious you know, of Lemuel and his convictions. While I think that there are limits and there, it is claustrophobic, um, uh, certainly in his interpretation, I, I, I know that, that he has his answers and he has the answers for his community. And, um, and I, I don't have all of those answers, um, but I know that, that Lemuel was coming from a place of love and that's what they, that's what they wrote and, um, and that's how I saw it. It wasn't a place of manipulation, it was a place of, it, it was a reaction to the things that were going on in their life. And, and one reaction whenever you come upon hard times is you, you turn to God if you didn't have God in your life beforehand. And when that happens for you and that recipe really works, then um, there's no turning away from it, really. And um, so it was kind of that combined, and then I'll be quiet. I, I, did, this, I did this movie uh, called The Apostle with Robert Duvall when I was 24 years old. And, uh, and, and for me, when I read their story, it was like completing a circle for me. Um, it was as if the character that I played in, in that movie with Bobby grew up and became Lemuel. So it was very foreign, but also very familiar. It was as if, man, you know, this is, this is, you can let it all go now if you, if you get an opportunity to do this. It was such a big question. Take it away. <laughs> no, no. Um, Your faith. <laughs> that's right. That's where I'll start. Yes, I did grow up in a Mormon family, in a Mormon community, and that wasn't easy for me. I um, struggled in that box that I felt I was put into, and the sort of identity that was laid out before me didn't feel truthful to who I was, and so this film and this story in the beginning was very much about me um, working through <laughs> the themes of my own adolescence and and exploring um, you know what was snarling inside me for so long and being able to come out the other side with um, more empathy and more peace for things that I didn't understand as a young person and certainly not as a child but I can see um, more clearly now as an adult and have compassion for you know family members that do hold uh, firmly to their faith at sometimes the cost of their loved ones, which I certainly felt that growing up. And I can see, you know, my parents, they're, you know, we're all in a good place now, just so everybody <laughs> can rest easy and exhale. But, but to see them, um, I'm a parent now, and so I just have a new understanding. I became a parent through this process. So when I wrote the script with Dan, it was not a mom yet, and now I am. And I can see how hard it is to be a parent, how hard it is to trust yourself, how hard it is to you know make difficult decisions and, and you don't know what the right way or the wrong way is. And so you want to hold on to something. You want to believe that you're doing right by your children. And so I see now why some parents hold firmly to their faith even when their child is in distress, even when their child is asking for something different. I do understand and have empathy for that. And so I'm really thankful for having gone through this process and to really explore both sides of the coin, you know, why people 
stay in these communities and stay um, in a religious in a religious life and also why people leave. And so I really can't stop answering this question because it's probably gonna be like <laughs> the journey of my life. So you have to stop me, Amy. <laughs> I'm stopping. <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. <laughs> okay, I'll be quick. <laughs> um, you know, I think in a lot of ways my first encounter with Pentecostal snake handling was through an intellectual lens. Um, and so a, for me, a lot of this film was sort of about a journey towards understanding these people. I think a lot of us, understandably, the first time we encounter snake handling, you know, it's understandable to be a little frightened, a little scared, because it's, it is, you know, to see someone risking their life for something as intangible as faith. Um, and I think what the film glances at is, and it really builds a sense of community around them is, and which I ultimately found was what made these communities so understandable and so compelling is the very tight knit and supportive communities that they form. And they form that in a lot of reasons because Pentecostal snake handlers are persecuted. You know, um, they're mocked and maligned by the media, but you know, in many of the states, in the Southern United States where it's still practiced, uh, it's actually criminalized. And so the snakes are rounded up, pastors are arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, and it really begs all sorts of really interesting questions about you know, what constitutes a legitimate religious, religious practice and you know, who is to say what is or is not a legitimate religious practice. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, as a queer person, I certainly know a lot of friends of mine, family members of mine that don't always feel safe walking down the street. And I think that it's interesting that that's something that's shared by uh, such an extreme uh, religious as this, a, a minority religious community, that that's something that they share. And I think it's something that draws a lot of my own empathy uh, and compassion for this community, you know, however different our lives and values might be. I thought it was gonna be quick. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that this was like a super, super indie. You guys were staying in rural Ohio. You didn't have enough money to have rehearsal time, really. I mean, we usually talk about that in terms of just constraint, but I'm wondering, was there anything positive that came out of that, of having to do this on such a, a tight, short schedule? Oh my God, everything. It was such a galvanizing <laughs> experience because I felt, I mean, this was my first feature, obviously, so I would love to hear Walton's thoughts, but I felt like we were all going to war and we were all in the trenches together and everybody came with the same adventuring spirit. You know, it was a little like camp, like we were just away for the, <laughs> like in the woods you know, fighting every day to make this movie happen um, through bad weather, through any unforeseen obstacle, and it just felt like we were all on the front lines together. And I thought that that energy, that camaraderie, that shared mission just reached every aspect of the production, and it was so fun. And I really think we got through some really challenging hard times just because we had no choice. Uh, yeah, 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 the coffee was shitty. Like, it was really shitty coffee, and I, li I really like coffee. Uh, no, man, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, it's, look, this, this movie was, first and foremost, there's so much content being generated today, and, uh, 
and and our, our our producers and financiers who are here, Bradley and, and Michael uh, Helfont, you know, say hello. Uh, no, and I, and I say that because look, man, I mean, who who's gonna buy? <laughs> I mean, what's the pitch in the room? I've got a movie with snake handle, uh, you know, snake handling preacher and his daughter and a community that no one really knows about. Yeah, I'll finance that. Sure, yeah, I'll tell that story. Um, it, it's hard. It's hard to get these movies made. And um, and when I say this is an independent movie, I've made four independent movies, and this was an indie, indie, independent <laughs> movie. And uh, and and but 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 it it just speaks to the power of story. You know, at the end of the day, like that—that's all we have. You know, for the time that we're here, and uh, and you choose your own story, uh, and you and you choose if you can to participate in somebody else's story, whether it's on film or it's not on film, and uh, and and this is one that a attracted all of these people, and was uh, you know we we got an opportunity to present our what we did at, at Sundance, and um, and now we're here, and it is what it is. Uh, but um, but but it's it's all predicated on on the story, and if you build it, they will come. Regardless if you do it for for a thousand dollars or half a million dollars, you know, um, it's all about what's on the on the page. That's where the power really comes from. I want to throw it out to the audience, but right before I do, I have a question, which is just that I read Walton that you're terrified of snakes, and so how on earth did that work? I'm, no, I'm terrified of snakes. You know what I gotta say, just and I'm really, really quickly, because uh, I said this in the press and it's kind of been repeated a couple times. But then I heard a uh, an interviewer saying that uh, the the other cast members, because I said I got hit by a snake, and the other cast members said, I think I'm gonna call bullshit on that. Like that didn't happen, <laughs> and that's bullshit. I call bullshit on their bullshit because because you remember it was nobody was there. It was just. It was just uh, Alice, myself, and the two of you. And it was the last <laughs> night that I worked, and I dropped the well, I'm so scared of snakes. I'm so scared of snakes. Like, like even behind glass, I'm scared of snakes. And, uh, and the, the time came, you know, like, it was uh, the time came, and it was the day. It's like, I knew snakes were in this movie. I knew this dude was a snake handling preacher. <laughs> but I didn't really think that, like, I was really going to have to pick them up, even though they said that was a part of it, the deal. And, uh, and then the time came, and I didn't want to see them. I didn't want to talk to them. I want to hold them. And then the, the day came where, uh, well, today's a 14-hour day, and we, had, we only had three days with the snakes. Three days. Three days total. And I, got, I had two of them. And, uh, and so uh, right before I, I went in, it's like, hey, man, you know, I, I, can't, fuck, I can't do this. You can't, well, you can't do this. And, uh, and I said, but you're not Walton, you're Lemuel. So just you go walk in there, you, they're your friends. And I just walked in and picked it up like I was him, and then everything was great. But two days in a row, you guys are going to remember this, and I want validation in front of his video and her video, that at the end of the second day, 14, 15 hours, it was a scene in the church, the last scene that we had, I was really tired. And, and I came out of it, and it was either Britt or Daniel, one of them that said, action. And we said action, I was just Walton. I wasn't Lemuel. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a fucking snake in that box. Oh, my God, why are you walking over to this box? Why are you putting your hand in this box with snakes in it? Why is there a snake in your hand? Oh, my God, Walton, you have a snake in your hand. And I, and I just, he felt the fear. And the snake hit, hit me like that. And he didn't have any teeth. He wasn't venomous. It wasn't a problem. And I dropped it immediately. And when I, when I dropped it, I said, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. 
and I actually remember this. You're right. Thank I you. Do, thank I remember you very this. much. I remember this. So I when, verify. Thank you very I much. I do remember this. So I when remember, it I happened, do. Jules said, "Just back away, step away." Oh, I, said, I do remember. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? I, I'm making this up. Like I don't have my my ego's not tied up in getting bitten by a fucking snake. <laughs> And uh, and so then and then and then, but it was all predicated on that. So, but I, I, I made peace with them. But I will never do another movie with snakes in it, ever again. Yeah. That's I w- it. I will add. That's what that happened. Oh, let's settle I, this. It happened. It happened. I will add, and I feel like we probably told you this before we started shooting, but we may have elided it. <laughs> so the snakes are non-venomous. You know, they're snakes that through convergent evolution look scary as heck. They look like rattlesnakes, so they ward off their natural predators. But so they do have like little puppy teeth, but so if they bite you, it doesn't hurt. And I do remember asking Jules, I was like, they're never gonna bite, right? (laughs) And he was like, no, no, no. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so no. He was like, no. (laughs) So I think he might have been trying to tell me something. But, you know, it was just a puppy bite. The company line, though, was that they were not going to bite the actors. No, no, it's all right. It's cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I think we have time for a few questions. I'll probably repeat them just because it's a big theater in the mic before people answer them. Um, Yes? Yeah, I was totally engaged through the whole movie. It was very tense, and I didn't even notice the soundtrack there in terms of music. Uh, It was... I was totally absorbed. And there's no question, just one other quick comment. In my experience, I grew up in the country. We had red-bellied black snakes and brown snakes, six and brown snakes, which will will chase you or which will chase you. Uh, Not the deadly type band, but this is for an Australian person. And uh, also, I was a Mormon church leader in a very small congregation at the age of 20. Now, I'm very immature 20. Thank you, thank you very much for saying that, man. Uh, you know, I, I, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll make this quick because I know you a couple of questions and I get long-winded, but um, at, how, do, how, do I, how do I say this? At, at, at the end of the day, and, and at least in America, like I, I'm, I come from a little small town outside of Atlanta, Georgia, but I've been all over the world and I've spent a lot of time in rural communities and a lot of different cultures and I pride myself on that and I look for those experiences. And... There is nothing going on in, in, in a lot of these small towns. And God, God is what's going on. And I had my version of that. And while to an urban audience, a woman uh, getting, getting pregnant is a, is a big deal anywhere. But uh, uh, getting pregnant with one guy when, and not telling another guy in, in, in Los Angeles, it's like, well, you tell him. You know, it's okay. I'm going to talk to my mom and dad. It's all right. Those, those rules don't apply here, just like their rules don't apply in, in Los Angeles. And, and the stakes for this community, and my wife and I talked at length about this, that this, 
for this man and for this community, for Olivia's care, for every character in there, these aren't just uh, uh, consequences for this life. They're for eternity. And you have to really wrap your head around that. And if you really believe that, if you really care enough or you're empathetic enough about another culture that is different from your own and you, you walk a mile in their shoes or even 10 steps and you contemplate what that means for eternity, then everything that these filmmakers have mapped out in a very slow, methodical way takes on a very different meaning. And, and that's, I just try to honor what these guys wrote, man. You know, and I think we all, that's what we all, all did, you know, when, when, just to, to be a part of this. But thank you for your experience and sharing thank you. it. Um, yeah, right there. Uh, the question is, what is the significance for the Black Widow spider, especially for Olivia Coleman's character? Well, so, yes, she does. So she, Olivia, she's a small spider tattoo um, right here on her, on her hand. And Olivia's character, Hope, sort of uh, represents an important figure in the community, but also sort of within you know, the diverse arrivals to this community. She's the only convert you know, that we see on screen. And her backstory is you know, gestured at you know, without being laid fully out. But the idea is that quite simply that she has a past. You know, she has a past that was difficult and challenging. Uh, and it's one that she was able to escape uh, and finally find solace in her life, you know, within this community. You know, she says, you know, when Zeke found me and brought me here, uh, Zeke, of course, being Jim Gaffigan. But in that, what that spider tattoo really symbolizes is just that. It's the breadth of her life, the experience that she has had in her life, where she has lived both inside and outside. And she, in that way, sort of represents, you know, as Britt sort of mentioned earlier, the film explores not just why people want to leave these communities, but also why they want to stay or why they would want to come to this community. And Hope, having been through a sort of rocky past, has found this life raft you know, in this community um, and in the, the very tight bonds of this community. And so it really just it is just a, an echo and a, and a representation of sort of the complexity of the life that she's lived. Yeah, it was really important for us to explore not only both sides of the coin, as I mentioned, but um, for women. Um, and I think that for, for a lot of reasons, because it's um, truthful that a lot of women, despite the narrow space that they have to exist in in these conservative communities, and I want to say snake handling churches vary. There's not one overriding um, you know, institution that governs their practices or their you know, theological um, adherence. So each church is sort of a reflection of the community that it's born in. So they all have a different relationship to the outside world, and they all have different levels of conservatism. But for the most part, uh, the, it's a very gendered experience. The women um, are, are in a narrow space and have um, uh, clothing restrictions and makeup restrictions and and that's pretty universal and that's something that we wanted to explore for Mara's character for example she really struggles against these constraints um, we not just because of the person she loves but because of who she is we have her you know looking in the mirror and cutting her, a halter top from her slip, just imagining a different identity for herself. Um, but we also, thank you, thank you. Um, we also wanted to explore um, 
the women that find refuge in these constraints, which I've seen that in my own family and, and how they find solace in uh, the sort of rules and traditions of the Mormon church, and that's very real. And um, and so it was important for us to show both sides of that, and and hope and is is a big part of that, and as well as Dilly, uh, Caitlin Deaver's character, um, and they all have different reasons. We have, we have, oh sorry, we have time for one more. Um, uh, yeah, right there. Yeah, um, so were you allowed to visit any of the churches? Are were injuries like this really common? And I'll throw in my third one, which is, has anybody from these communities seen the film? So three questions. Um, the first one being, are injuries, you mean snake bites, right? Um, yeah, they are very common, and pastors die um, regularly by snake bite. And, and that's usually when this practice is thrust into the national spotlight. Um, the most famous pastor that recently died in 2014 was Jamie Coots. He had a Nat Geo documentary series, and he, um, he got bit and uh, did not opt for medical treatment, and he passed away. And he'd been bit many times before and survived. Um, and so, so yes, this is a perilous uh, ritual, and, and people do die. Uh, the second question was. The second question was about. <laughs> so it was something that sort of I mentioned before, you know, which is that so these churches are mocked, maligned, and persecuted by the state. And so by nature, they have to be very reclusive. It's something that's explored, you know, in the film. Um, and so Britt and I did immense amounts of research in order to accurately represent to as well as possible these cultures and these traditions. But it's a work of fiction. Um, and so we did put that research away, and as she mentioned, you know, all of these churches are different, and they each have their own rules and, and hierarchies and relationships to the outside world. And so we we aren't speaking for this culture, you know, as a monoculture. Each one is very different. Um, but one of the things that really does unite them is often, a, you know, a sense of isolation and reclusion from the outside world, just because of the very real dangers that they face legally. Uh, and so, while we did, you know, correspond with the church in Alabama, who was wonderfully kind and uh, and open to us, one of the oldest us, churches, one of the oldest they, from 1916 yeah. um, in Alabama. But we only had a friendly correspondence with them online. We never went there to visit them. We were never invited, um, but they answered our questions generously and thoroughly. Um, but no, we were never invited. And so they're very wary, quite frankly, you know, of the secular world. Um, and so with, with that as well, you know, to answer the final question, to my knowledge, I don't think any of them have seen. No one's reached out to us, you know, since Sundance. You know, um, I'm not sure if they even know about it yet. Um, it's a, in many ways, you know, as you can sort of see for Mara, it's hard for her to get out, and I think sometimes things are also hard to get in. I'm gonna do a preaching tour, actually, and bring it <laughs> to their communities after the unicorn comes out on CBS. I'm gonna, that's the second thing that I'm gonna be doing this fall. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be great. We did go to Pentecostal churches, though, yes. so snake handling is, from the Pentecostal tradition, it's an escalation of Pentecostalism, which is an, sort of an ecstatic religious practice. It's speaking in tongues. It's faith healing. So we did, with Walton um, in rural else. Ohio and other cast members, we did go to Pentecostal churches, which I, please do that. 
at one time in your life. It's, it's really spectacular to witness them live out loud their relationship with the divine. For somebody who doesn't believe in God, it was, it felt miraculous. And, and several, you know, that, that church in Ohio, my gosh, I forgot the name of it, but incredibly wonderful and kind people who were so happy to have us there, you know, and to like offer us a glimpse, you know, into their world and their faith. And two of the churchgoers, you know, came on set to be extras, you know, to not to to lend the authenticity of their worship, you know, um, and if I remember correctly, um, one of them, you know, when he said that you were performing, was like utterly swept away and and was feeling, you know, the call of the Holy Spirit. So, if I could just get my wife to feel that way. <laughs> uh, well, on the subject of uh, proselytizing, um. Thank you all for coming to see them that follow and help really, spread the thank word you about so it. Much tell for people out, about man. this film. Thank you, yeah, guys. Join thank me in very, thanking Britt, Dan, and Walton. Thank and you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> tell your friends. Post on Instagram. Support independent film. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theaters Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theaters, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.